Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you as a parent gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston shares a personal devotional to help you as you walk through life with your teen. Let's hear what Mark has to say. I recently made a comment on a podcast about um, how I handled my son in a in a situation, and and um, and it really has been interesting because I haven't gone back and really looked at it um, that much, but it did get me thinking a little bit, and um, and I think I'd I'd want to put a title to this devotion where it, where it just says this: uh, you don't give up. When they hurt your heart, and um, I live with sixty high school kids that come from all over the country, and they're great kids. They're just struggling, making poor choices, doing stupid stuff, and and uh, half of them would tell you that they wouldn't be alive had they not come to live with us at Heartlight. Um, but that still doesn't take away the success stories that we have, and and uh, the goodness that comes out of. Uh, the relationships that are formed, it doesn't take away the hurt that that sometimes people feel. And and I'm not one who hasn't been familiar with that hurt um, through life, whether that be, um, whether whatever it be. But, but you know, my son's phone call uh, one day was somewhat um, expected because we talk all the time, but his message was not. And And he said this, he said, Dad, I'm getting divorced. And I'm, I'm sure the neighbors could hear my response, you know, what do you mean you're getting divorced? I mean, you just got married. I mean, what are you thinking? Um, and he said this, I've, I've met somebody else. I remember the intensity of my calm but strong words, and I said this to him. Uh, and this is what I've, uh, it's funny how I went to this uh, almost immediately. I said, well, Adam, when you can call your wife's father and apologize for screwing up her life, I'll then talk to you. Doesn't that sound great? Wasn't that manly? I mean, I thought I was doing the right thing, standing up for what was right. I was defending what God desires and what, and what we stood for as a family. And mind you, this was the same son who inspired the tagline of truth that I have communicated to hundreds of thousands of parents, there's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. When my son needed me the most, I wasn't anywhere to be found. While he was lost, I let him wander. And when he needed a dad who would walk him through a difficult time, I wrote him off. During this difficult time, my presence in my son's life was somewhat lacking, and and then I woke up one morning and realized What I thought I was doing in the name of righteousness just wasn't working. And the more I thought about it, the more I came to see how I put my expectations above my own son. And I justified my behavior with this idealistic thought that what I was doing was what God wanted me to do. And I can tell you this, boy, was I ever wrong. Adam hurt me. And when I turned my back on him, it was because of my own feelings, and I was thinking more about myself and how I was going to lose a daughter-in-law whom I loved than it was about my own son's turmoil. I didn't consider the internal conflict and struggle that he was going through, yet I put myself first. 
And so I've spent hours of, of reflection since then, looking in that rearview mirror. Uh, and I, I believe that God would have me spend more time trying to touch the hearts of those who are hurting me than protect my own heart or convince myself uh, that I'm protecting God's very own heart by turning my back <laughs> on any of his precious kids. A parent of one of the kids let me know that he was disappointed in me. And uh, I remember his comments. Uh, he said that I wasn't standing up to the media and publicity that he felt were exploiting his daughter. She was engaged in a same-sex relationship, and the media loved revealing this scandal. And the media defamed him, his wife, and and even started to make comments about Hartlight's reputation. Uh, the media was relentless and started making accusation that... Uh, our program was into this gay conversion therapy. I don't even know what that is, and uh, but it, and it's absurd at at its best, and and completely pathetic at its least. And and uh, but we don't do stuff like that. So eventually, you know, I decided that it would be best for this man's daughter to leave our program. It wasn't working for any of us, and with the relentless pounding of the media, there was no solution for either of us. That publicity could bring problems to other families and teens entrusted to us at that time. This mother and father are dear people uh, who love their daughter immensely. And the father caught me somewhat off guard when he came to pick her up at my request and said, this approach is not what I would have expected. It gives the impression of fear, not confidence in the Lord's provision. And he felt we should fight not only for his daughter, but also against all this homosexual agenda. And I disagreed. I said, that's not our mission. I just don't think that it was our fight to take on a cause against turning uh, a turning culture that didn't include us. And his comment got me thinking a bit uh, about what we stand and where we're supposed to, what stands we're supposed to take when we encounter people in situations that don't follow what we believe. And the scripture says the following. This is out of 1 Timothy, and I, I love it. It's 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. It says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confessions in the presence of many witnesses. And I believe the fight mentioned here means fights and quarrels that get us caught up in arguing over things that really create nothing eternal. Matter of fact, I, I further believe that this scripture is pretty targeted, encouraging people to fight the good fight that that pursues righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. All these things are eternal, but I don't think the scripture means I'm to fight everything that doesn't line up with God's word. What lines up with a fight or brawl with a winner or a loser? We, we can't fight everything. Then we'd be spending all of our time fighting. And I and I don't think the scripture tells me I must fight other people's battles. Now, this is something for all of us to, to kind of hold on to. I don't have to change the world for everybody else and spend all my time and energy, you know, uh, in a wrestling arena or a, a, a boxing tournament. Um, I need to get on with life. And and so some people really believe it's their job to create or finish any and all fights. I don't. 
Some admirable and honorable battles just aren't my business. And love might get lost in the fight, and I'd lose my time for others. And when we fight and win relationships, we both win. There's nothing wrong with fighting for a cause. It's just that some of those causes aren't mine to fight. Are you following me? So where does this come into parenting and grandparenting? As we all get a little older, you know, we all have things that we believe in and a number of things that we don't believe in. And this new and changing culture emerges. Don't confuse love and listening as acceptance. No one is saying you have to embrace what you believe is sin. It's just that sometimes, I would argue most times, that we need to let the Holy Spirit be in charge of making um, those we love accountable for our sins. That's the Spirit's job anyway, isn't it? I mean, who made it ours? I mean, it's easy to get caught up in some of the quarrels and controversies uh, that are more about fighting than they, than they are about resolution. And, and maybe the way you believe is different from the way that your child or grandchild believes. You can spend time fighting and, and lose the relationship and goodwill and, and, and love, just as I said. Or you can love in spite of the differences without losing your special relationship. You know, and and here's what the Bible states about fighting from the very beginning. You know, it's out of this 1 Timothy. It says, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people. And my message is very simple. Don't fight for something that produces nothing. You know, some situations may be hard to swallow, but show how much you love your your child or your grandchild in spite of your differences. And I'm going to suggest to you that maybe there's a lot more differences with a grandchild just because of the generational uh, differences and the the amount of years that have passed. Uh, You know, it it really has been... um, golly, it's been 50 years since I was a teenager. Things change within 50 years. Think about those possibilities before you face any of them um, so that you don't act negatively when you find out what's really going on. Think about, uh, you know, these now so you can keep your head on straight if any of them incur within your precious family. You have to figure out how you would respond when you first hear that your grandson or granddaughter is gay or bisexual, that you might have to live with the fact that your granddaughter doesn't, or your daughter um, doesn't want the same kind of relationship that you have with God, or maybe they don't want any relationship at all. Or you may have to accept the fact that your son is living with his girlfriend. What do you say? Or you'll probably have a, a, a child who thinks it's okay to smoke pot. Will you let the difference in how you feel about something that has no eternal value determine or destroy the relationship that you have with your child? And this is where it becomes difficult, because it doesn't mean that I change the way I believe. It just means that I put the relationship first. And so, of course, people are always going to be making comments. Well, if you don't stand up for it, then you're agreeing with them. And I don't believe that to be true. If you differ on politics, uh, the changing climate or same-sex marriage, do you think you can share wisdom about these hot topics 
when there is disagreement on the particulars? Can you still love a son or daughter who sees nothing wrong with smoking, gambling, drinking, or other violations of your standards? Or will your daughter still feel uh, the specialness of a relationship with you if she's just a little bit more immodest and parties more than you would have ever wanted? And these are all scenarios that are easy to read on the page, but they're they're much harder to um, when they hit home. When any of these scenarios within your family happen, what will your reaction be? And hopefully these situations don't just spring on you, but they're preceded by a few conversations and, and time for you to give wise and very sensitive input um, when it counts the most. You have the opportunity to to help form opinions and beliefs rather than just being a recipient of your child's announcements or a bystander watching behavior that you think is inappropriate. Your relationship is key. The God of relationships calls you to be a light in the darkness. Your words of encouragement can be a rudder that that steers even the, the mightiest of ships Um, to a different destination. And your shared perspective might just spark a larger fire passion for your child's purpose in life. And you may think, okay, then how do we do that, Mark? How do we approach a subject or situation that's contrary to what we believe without alienating our child? Well, you know, they'll listen to you, but only if you've already established a solid relationship where you're a trusted source of wisdom. Don't think that, that... that they're immediately going to come to you for wisdom if you don't have a relationship with them and and you've never shared wisdom with them before. You know, if you haven't built the relationship, I doubt your opinion can make any kind of a difference. It'll probably just create more distance because somebody doesn't like hearing everybody's opinion uh, when they don't know who they are. And chances are your child already knows what you believe regarding the situation. And I've, uh, you know, I've always talked about, uh, you know, all this stuff that um, with kids that they fear that they will disappoint you and that you will condemn them. And so your approach to children at these critical times shows that your relationship can withstand more than you think. Now, for all you grandparents, if your grandchildren live close to you, it'll be easier to communicate on a regular basis. And, and grandkids who are geographically distant um, present a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, And if you only get to spend time together a couple of times a year, it becomes a little trickier. In that situation, you may want to invite them to go on special trips or vacations or whatever it is. Um, But, but you can, you know, FaceTime or, or Skype or, or, you know, Zoom or whatever you need to do to talk to somebody, but make sure you find time to talk and make sure they get to see your face and keep pursuing them with reminders that you desire to be a part of their life. You know, as, uh, as, as your kids and your grandkids reach their teen years and beyond, beyond that, y- you need to talk about something, and you need to talk about something tough. I'd approach the discussion by saying, you know that I'm getting older, and I don't see things the same way perhaps that you do. We're different, you and I but we've always had a special relationship. And right now, I want to speak to the elephant in the room. Tell me what's going on in your life. I'd love to know what you're thinking. And I think any parent or grandparent can approach it in such a way 
where you affirm the relationship and say that you want to be involved in some way. You can't just spring it on them when there's a conflict or difficulty and hardship, but you keep that going because you know hardship will come somewhere in their life and you want to be a part of helping them through it. And that should get you in the door to keeping the conversations going. And, and remember this, ask questions. Whatever the answer, however misguided it is in your eyes, ask more questions. And hopefully after you spend a period of time uh, listening, your child will begin to ask you something along the lines of, hey, what do you think about me living with my girlfriend? Hey, what do you think about me taking a year off after high school and traveling around the country? Hey, what do you think about me not coming home for Christmas, uh, but going skiing instead? What do you think about what's happening in our country today? Or what do you think about politics today? Golly, there's some great conversations right there. But this is what I long for. I long for a child to come to me and ask that question rather than me always having to ask them those questions. And those questions will come from them if there's a relationship um, where they believe that you are a source of wisdom. Because remember, they're drowning in information, but they're longing for wisdom. Be careful. You know, sometimes it, it, it just isn't a good idea to share your opinions. And many times I look at kids when they ask a question, and, and I, I tell them, you know, it really doesn't matter what I think. I'm happy for you, and, uh, and you know that I'll never let any of your decisions get in the way of us. There's a scripture that states this. It, it's in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 18.2, and it says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want <laughs> to air their opinions. Be careful. Be careful. And that reminds me to wait when I'm asked for my opinion. I need to consider this first. Am I being a fool? Do I want to understand my child, or do I really want to hear their hearts? Or have I really been spending all my time while they're talking, formulating my own counter-argument the whole time that they've shared? And sometimes my opinion is just not needed. And other times it may instill a sense of disappointment in my child. But, but So let me ask you this, and, and it all goes back to, you know, when a child hurts you or saying things and, uh, that, that are a little bit different than what you want, what you long for, and they, they hurt your heart because you'd hope that... that uh, that they would have chosen something different. And so we get this idea that, uh, especially grandparents do this, where they feel like they just have to correct everything all the time. And I'm going, you don't have to. Your life speaks louder uh, than anything, than any words you can ever say. But, but, but let me ask you this. Once you hit your teen years, didn't you know your own sin better than anyone? Didn't you know what you were doing wrong? Did you hide things from your parents or even your trusted friends? If anyone caught you or condemned you for your choices, did it help? And most of the time, teens know exactly what they're doing wrong in their lives. In fact, often they feel worse about themselves than they really are. They feel worse about their mistakes and failures than you could ever make them feel. And if they're making poor choices in some areas or, uh, that have and they've been brought up better, they most likely already think the ones they uh, love see them as utter failures, uh, not just human beings who mess up sometimes. They don't need to hear it. 
They they need to be loved and encouraged through it. And and please, please, don't take my words and say, well, we're just letting kids off the hook. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that moving toward a child, when they're struggling through something, it's not my time to be the vine dresser. It's not my time to be judging them. It's my time to love them. And it doesn't change the fact that that I may not believe what they're doing or may not agree with all of their thoughts and stuff, but it means I put the relationship first. And I let the Holy Spirit be the one that judges them. I let all the truth that's been poured into their life while they've been growing up convict them and make them feel a sense of guilt. And if they ask me a direct question, do you think this is wrong what I'm doing? Then I'm very careful to answer that in such a way that I don't invalidate my own beliefs or scripture or that that I've built my life on, but I stand as one who can offer truth and wisdom that can help guide and direct rather than offend and push away. You know, um, that verse that says about sharing opinions, it means something. Um, uh, it directs me at times to simply respond with, I understand. And understanding doesn't always mean that there's agreement. And so they may say, well, then you're okay with me doing whatever they're doing. And my response is, I didn't say I agree with you. I said, I understand. And we can still love each other and not agree with everything you're doing. If I sense that my opinion or perspective will be ignored at that time, then I don't share it. And I can wholeheartedly love and embrace a child who doesn't want to take my advice. This is Mark Gregston. I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, you can visit parentingtodaysteens.org, heartlightministries.org, or markgregston.com. Join us back here tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.